Hello over there on the other side of the pond. This is Tony Campolo. The name of the show is From Across the Pond. You can guess why it's called From Across the Pond, because we put it together. Uh, the show is uh, taped and, and uh, sent out to the United Kingdom from Cabrini University, which sits across the street from Eastern University and Eastern uh, Seminary, which is now called Palmer Seminary. We have a seminary professor as our guest today. Uh, his name is uh, uh, David Fitch, and uh, he holds the Lindner Chair of Evangelical Theology at Northern Seminary in Chicago, Illinois. Whew, there's a mouthful. And he's written books, and he's an interesting guy. And just talking to him for the few minutes uh, prior to the show, he has a good radio voice. So you're going to enjoy hearing from David Fitch. Welcome to the show, David. Great to be with you, Tony, from uh, across the pond. And and by the way, I'm also not only a professor, I'm a pastor. I pastor a small uh, incarnational community church in, in the town of Westmont, which is a second-ring suburb of Chicago. So, by the way, most of my theological work comes from struggling to be the church in the world, the real struggles. So, what is an clear, incarnational... I am a pastor first, then a professor. What is an incarnational church? You say an incarnational church. What do you mean by that? Well, I just mean um, instead of setting up uh, a church... Uh, to do goods and services and be like a store uh, that people come to, we want to actually plant ourselves in a community and engage that place by being present in the various places of that community, including the places of hurt and pain and struggle and injustice. And by being present there, we believe we are able to open space for God to work and the gospel to be proclaimed and for him to really transform a community if, we're just, if we'll just be faithful and present long enough uh, for him to be known. That's great preaching. Would you put it into flesh for us? What specifically do your people do that make this happen? Well, um, and, and, and by the way, uh, this is all in a book I wrote a couple, three, four years ago called Faithful Presence. But we try to locate ourselves. So like, like, for instance, we have three different leaders leading ministries of safe families, where there's many struggling families in, in and around Chicago, where we live, who are struggling with domestic issues and just need a little help with their children to get them through the time. And we are able to help uh, DCFS, which is the, the system here in the U.S., uh, to take care of uh, children when they are struggling. Uh, but uh, we're able to bring Jesus to that to that situation and minister by opening up space with the families. We also have a common closet where people come together and share clothing and are able to help people get through it, their clothing needs as children grow up. We also have uh, presence in our school system, and we pray with, with our with people in the school system. And we have several people, including my wife, by the way, who works in the school system. And uh, by just gathering together and ministering and holding, oh, oh, really, we, we've developed a program to open up spaces for children to talk through their issues with, with numerous people, teachers, teachers' aides, and so forth. All this open space for the presence of Jesus to be known and recognized and, and the gospel to be proclaimed. In other words, do you see Jesus 
as Lord at work here, healing and restoring the world. And uh, that, that's just three of the... I, I actually go to a bar. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm a, at a Baptist seminary, uh, and so, uh, you know, you have to be careful here. Like, two beers is my maximum. But, you know, I go to this bar where all these workers come, these contract workers come, and, uh, you know, spend two or three hours calming down from the day and having what I would call fellowship. And uh, so we choose these spaces uh, to meet and engage people where they are, to be guests and, and open up space for, for the presence of God to work in people's lives. Good stuff. Good stuff. Now, you've uh, written a book uh, called The Church of Us Versus Them. Uh, subtitle, Freedom from a Faith that feeds on making enemies. What is that all about? Explain that book to us. Well, um, you know, uh, I don't, I think, like, I, I actually grew up in Canada. I have spent time in various parts of Europe. Uh, but there's no question that the antagonisms that are driving us here in the United States culturally are just at an all-time high. And the church gets caught up in these antagonisms. And I, by the way, I use ideological theory to kind of help pastors and people who are, are leading groups of people to understand the dynamics of antagonisms. You know, you, and, you need uh, to so, stop just a moment. And, and uh, for our, our British audience, what kind of antagonisms are we talking about here in the United States? Well, uh, the big three or four are, uh, I would say, racism and the racial struggles and history of the United States with slavery and all of the ways that racism acts in our culture. And when you bring it to the forefront, uh, people, get, uh, pe- people quickly take sides and make enemies, and we never get to discerning what God wants to do in reconciling people out of racialized groupings. Uh, likewise, um, sexuality is a, is a big struggle in our churches that almost automatically divides us. And we never get down to being with people who are, and I'm not talking just same-sex sexuality, but heterosexualities who are struggling. We never get, we never get there because we're, we're, we're too busy making our case for our side versus the other side. Immigration, just the politics, national politics of make America great again. I deal with these, by the way, in the, in the book, The Church of Us Versus Them. They divide us, and we never get to doing justice in the world because we're too busy arguing about it. You know, as you go through those uh, conflicts, uh, you have to be aware, as I think you are aware, that uh, as you name them, uh, our listeners in New Zealand, our listeners in Australia, our listeners, especially in the United Kingdom, were saying, well, that's not just America. Here in the United Kingdom, uh, we have that same conflict. The race issue is a big issue that we're dealing with here. Uh, The uh, issue of immigration, Big issue here in the United States. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the whole Brexit uh, movement would not exist if it was not for the inundation of uh, uh, immigrants uh, coming in and seemingly taking over our society, say some of the uh, conservative voices in, in the uh, United Kingdom and in Europe. This is true in Australia. It's true in New Zealand. Uh, so uh, you're on a hot topic that doesn't just apply to the United States but on the, uh, in the uh, United Kingdom as, uh, as well and, and around the world. Uh, what in the book do you suggest we do in the name of Jesus to overcome these, these antagonisms? 
Yeah, well, the, the first thing I, I want people to know and understand is that the way antagonisms work, if we can just discern this, and I, I talk about uh, banners. Uh, when you extract a discernment, uh, uh, say a belief, and you extract it out of its context where it made sense, and you turn it into a banner that we wave and we rally people around the other people. Example, you know, example. And, and, well, uh, okay, so I'm going to use just a mundane example, like when my mother took, <clears throat> when my grandmother took my mother out of the Lutheran church because they drank too much and all my German uncles were getting alcoholism. And this was actually probably a good discernment at the time, you know, 1920s, 1930s. Uh, we went to the Holiness Church where they had discerned no alcohol. This is destroying our families. But go 50 to 100 years later, and now... We define who we are by those who drink alcohol and those who do not. And those who drink are lesser Christians. Or and, and, and how will we know we're different? Well, by not drinking. And we lose and we make enemies. And we lose the discernment of what actually happened in the first place. And so often, like my denomination, so often uh, not drinking becomes some, a card you carry. It's not actually anything you're discerning in your everyday life. That happens with, you know, sexuality. We, we extract an issue, one issue, often the gay or lesbian issue. We turn them into an object or a banner. We talk about them, and we say, are you for or against this? And we lose the ability to discern sanctification and what God wants to do to redeem and restore everybody, including, of course, heterosexuality, where there's so much broken sexuality, because we just get into arguments about it, and we don't allow space for Jesus to come in and, and make his presence known and discern and heal and work and forgive and reconcile. And this is what I think Jesus wants to do, but instead we get into arguments. I want us to discern the difference between antagonism and what Jesus calls us to do in Matthew 18, which is to be present face-to-face -face with one another, not making an object or an enemy and distancing ourselves from the other person, and then not making it about our identity, but submitting to him in his name. And he says, when you come together, I'll be there in your midst. And when you agree, uh, what is bound on earth shall be bound in heaven, what is loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, I will work to transform the world. And I think that's one of the first things I want to talk about in the book is how do we discern this enemy-making machine is what I call it, so that we don't go there, but instead we go to Matthew chapter 18. Uh, the, uh, you've written uh, several books, but in one of them you have a title, The End of Evangelicalism. Uh, what do you mean by that? You have a question mark. End of evangelicalism, question mark. Uh, comment yeah. on that, will you? Well, uh, Tony, uh, that's, that's, that book I think I was writing uh, right at the end, right at the beginning of the Obama administration here in the United States. But what I was just seeing is we were getting, the evangelicals were getting um, just caught up in these antagonisms, and they were defining themselves over, and they were getting caught up in these fights against ourselves. But even worse, we were aligning ourselves politically with with factions, and in the process, we were losing our presence for mission 
in the world. And so really, uh, I was using a lot of political ideological theory back then to help us explain and discern that this is not the politics of Jesus. This is an empty politics driven by antagonism. And how can we go from, from a politics? So, so think about it this way. When I, when I have to rally a crowd of people uh, and, and make them angry by what they are against, if, if we lose the enemy, if the enemy goes away, we have to come up with a new enemy. There's nothing there if the enemy's gone. We, we have no reason to gather and be a people if we're not against something. And that's what I call the empty politic. And that's what I think evangelicalism has become. And we have to keep stirring up fights for, for our reason to be. But Jesus is a politic of fullness, his presence in the world, his abundant presence all ever giving, ever loving, ever being present and healing the world. And that's a different kind of politics. And, and I fear if we, by we I'm now talking about uh, my evangelical traditions that I grew up in, if we don't get back to being the fullness of Christ for the world, uh, we will soon not have any reason to be, and we will dissipate and, and go away, and God will have to raise up a new church. And maybe that's what should happen after all. I mean, certainly, I don't know, Tony, how you feel, but we're all kind of looking at evangelicalism in the U.S. at least. And it's different in the U.S. from, from Europe or Canada. But in the U.S., we're shaking our heads going, I don't know if, I don't know if we can even be part of this anymore. Well, let me, uh, let me be counterpoint. Uh, just yep. uh, because I know that there are listeners out there that would be counterpoint. And the counterpoint would be this. Uh, doesn't the Bible say, particularly in the book of Ephesians, that we are engaged in spiritual warfare? And uh, I certainly our Pentecostal friends have made a, a big point out of the fact that we are engaged in a warfare, a warfare against the, uh, the principalities and the powers and the forces of darkness in this age. Uh, is this not... Uh, a call for Christians to be engaged in struggling against dark forces that are everywhere evident in society. What do you have to say to them? Yes, well, uh, you know, absolutely, I agree. Uh, but, you know, I want to point us to uh, the many times, like in Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter, I think it's 10, Paul says, uh, we do not wage war according to the flesh or according to human standards. Our weapons are not merely human, but they have divine power. And whenever the apostle says divine power, he's talking about the power of God and his presence. Uh, remember, he starts out that verse by saying, I appeal to you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. These are the words, by the way, that typify the presence, the very real presence of Christ in the world. And, and he talks about being humble in face-to-face -face conversations. And he kind of mocks the Corinthians for saying he's different when he's writing letters. And, and, and all that to say, are, we are engaged uh, in, in, in warfare, but not on human terms. God is not violent. God is a God of love, faithfulness, patience, presence. That's how God's going to redeem the world. Um, us Anabaptists, I, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm not always. I'm not necessarily including you, Tony, as an Anabaptist, but well, you I'm, can. You I'm can. of an Anabaptist heritage, yeah. and I believe God uh, does some things through government and 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 holds the world together through various uh, government or coercive means. But He's going to heal the world through the church and through His presence. And so we have to go and be in these places of hurt and injustice and be present. And there will be enemies. 
but we won't make them. They, they, will, they will be revealed, and God wants to even bring those people to himself through his presence. I hope that kind of clarifies where I'm at on Well, that. it does. It does. It does uh, deal with the issue, as I would. I, uh, I think your comments from Corinthians uh, that our weapons of warfare are not the weapons of the world. We, we do not resort to violent instruments uh, in our struggles. Uh, we have other means. We are not for coercion. We are for persuasion. Uh, the reality is, uh, many people will say, that around the world, uh, Christians have seldom been facing more persecution than they are right now. In places like uh, China, in Malaysia, in places like Indonesia, uh, in, in various countries, particularly in the Pacific uh, Southwest, uh, men uh, Christians are really getting kicked in the teeth. Uh, they're, they're being arrested. They're being put to death. Uh, what do you have to say to them? Well, uh, I think that... Uh, I'm the the ba- as an Anabaptist, you really yeah. should have something good to say because uh, the Anabaptists were persecuted. Incidentally, for those of you across the pond to whom the word Anabaptist is strange, it's not typical Baptist. It's people who take the radical sayings of Jesus and apply them literally. Love your enemies. Overcome evil with good. When Jesus says love your enemies, he probably means we shouldn't kill them. It's a commitment to peace and nonviolence. Uh, It's a commitment uh, to reject the materialism of the society and to live simple lives. Uh, That's a brief summary of Anabaptist movement. But my friend uh, David Fitch, who I'm interviewing today, a professor of theology at Northern Seminary in Chicago, he's an Anabaptist in background, or Neo-Anabaptist, as he likes to call himself. Speak to that, the persecution of Christians. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of hard for me to speak to that just because I'm 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 right now talking to you from my office on the third floor of the Northern Seminary buildings, and and it's um, and I, I'm not facing that kind of persecution. I I and, and I just want everybody to understand uh, if we just live the Christian life, uh, it's it's pretty easy right now in the United States for me to do it, despite what everybody's saying about this, that, and the other thing. But the, I'll just say to all our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering immense persecutions, threat of death. Uh, and how awful it is. And I just want to say that the history of Christianity says your life and your witness before the face of death and persecution shall be redeemed and shall be used to save the world. That you, that it is out of the blood of martyrs that somehow God calls people, more people to himself than at any time. And I just want to encourage you if, when you're suffering that to depend on, on the holy moment of being with the presence of Jesus to sustain you and, perse- and, and preserve you. Um, and out of that will come a witness that will change the world. It's where God works, the suffering of his people. And uh, I don't know if there's any comfort right now, but I just want to encourage you to stay steady and faithful uh, and follow Christ. I'm interviewing uh, David Fitch, uh, professor of theology at Northern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, this is Tony Campolo. The name of the show is from across the pond. Usually Shane Claiborne is here to share the show with me, and uh, he's a much better interviewer than I am, but uh, we're doing the best I can uh, with uh, my friend uh, David Fitch, and uh, uh, he has uh, written a book that uh, uh, deserves your attention right now, uh, 
And uh, this book is entitled The Church of Us Versus Them, a subtitle, Freedom from a Faith That Feeds on Making Enemies. Uh, There is a uh, famous book uh, that sociologists pay attention to, uh, written by Eric Hoffer, entitled uh, The True Believer. Have you ever come across that book? Uh, No, I haven't, Tony. Sorry. Please go out and get it. It was written about 30 or 40 years ago. I don't think it's ever been surpassed. It's a social commentary uh, on movements, social movements. And here is his thesis. Listen to it and react to it. He says, a movement can exist without a God. Many movements have. He points to uh, Marxist communism, a movement without a God. Uh, Nazism, a movement without a God. A movement can exist without a God, but no movement can exist without a devil that has to be destroyed. Uh, Obviously, Hitler said the devil is the Jews and was out to destroy them. Uh, So it is that uh, movements thrive on uh, having a devil that has to be destroyed. Uh, Do you think that the Christian community is creating devils that have to be destroyed? Yeah, this is is what I think describes uh, what I was earlier talking about when I said the empty politic. And uh, ideological theory... um, so, so you're a sociologist, Tony. I'm a political theorist. Uh, uh, political theology is my thing. There's at least one of them. And and I was, I'm very interested in the way ideology works. And you just described it in describing this author. Um, ideology has to find an enemy. And and Slavoj Žižek, a culture theorist, points out this out all the time. How the Nazis needed the Jew to to blame everything on and rally a people around. And and likewise. I believe Christianity, when it defaults, when it devolves into a politic, which isn't the politics of centering our lives around Jesus and his presence for the world, but when we kind of go into our own coercive means, we create enemies and we divide and we try to conquer. I believe that's what's happening all over the world today with Christianity. And in the process, we lose our witness. And we have many enemies you know, but uh, I fear like the, in the sexuality issue, this this is just so prototypical. We make, uh, we pick out one sexual issue, same-sex sexual relations, we turn it into an object, we distance ourselves and make the gay or lesbian person an enemy, and then we argue about them instead of engaging and being with them. And I think that's the problem that we're faced with. When, when we devolve into these kind of politics. Let me uh, pick up on that. Uh, I'm an old guy. I'm almost 85. So uh, I remember when I was a young guy uh, in my 20s and in my 30s, uh, evangelical Christianity said the enemy are the communists. Uh, we've got to save the world from the Marxists. They're taking over the world. And uh, the Iron Curtain has to be broken down. Well, the Iron Curtain was broken down. And now we don't have the communists as our enemies anymore. And so they had to come up with a new devil, and you picked it out. The new devil is the gay, lesbian, transgendered, bisexual uh, Q community. And uh, they're now the enemy. And the church often talks about them. They are going to ruin our society. They're going to destroy our families. They're going to ruin our culture. And they need to be stopped. And American politics 
feeds on that and why so many evangelicals get caught up in this in the political struggle. Just to comment on that, because we're running out of time, uh, you picked on it, and I'm just elaborating on it. Go on that issue just as we wrap yeah. up the program. Uh, I, I just want to say uh, that uh, when we get into these fights, uh, affirming, not affirming, I mean, I, I prefer, I think both of them slide over, smooth over all the issues that are going on deep uh, on the ground. So many issues. And by the way, it's different uh, here in Chicago, on the west side of Chicago versus Hyde Park, where the University of Chicago is, versus the north side of Chicago called uh, Boys Town. All, well, even what it means to be gay is different. And so we can't just make these grandiose statements about all gay people, or for that matter, all heterosexual people. Uh, we have deep problems in our sexualities, and I think it starts with evangelical, romanticist, attractional uh, marriage, as promoted by, uh, I hope I don't make anybody mad, James Dobson, yeah. focus on the family, and we created all this mess down here, and now we don't have to deal with any of it. All we have to do is decide what side are you on in the same-sex sexuality Jesus issue. Calls us away from and that. I just think we have to get out of that and start talking to each other and people who are actually engaged in all these issues. Thank you, David. Thank you very much for being on the show today. David Fitch, professor of theology at Northern Baptist Theological Seminary out in Chicago, and really had some good things to tell us uh, about his new book, uh, uh, The Church of Us and Them. Uh, this is Tony Campolo speaking on behalf of Red Letter Christians. Go to our website, redletterchristians.org. Find out about a movement that is trying to transcend the polarization that David was talking about today. Sign on and say, I want to be a Red Letter Christian. The old Bibles had the words of Jesus highlighted on red. That's what Anne the Baptist are about. That's what David Finch is about. And that's what we want you to be about. Blessings on you and have a good day.